Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we, we give you thanks as we, as we continue to celebrate the coming, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did give up all of his glory in heaven for a humble birth, and in that humility to, to serve upon this earth, to become even as a servant, for as he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He, upon that earth, was a faithful witness unto you. Uh, he spoke your words and only your words, and he did only your will. And in that perfect obedience, so he made himself a perfect sacrifice for us. And as that sacrifice upon the cross, he made that once and for all atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so that there is no longer any guilt, no longer any judgment to fear. That our sins are forgiven, our past, our present, even our future. So that we who once were not a people are now your people. We who once were far away have been brought near to you. We who once were rebellious sinners have now become your sons and daughters, heirs of the kingdom. And all because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up all, though he was rich, so that we who were poor might become rich. We thank you for such a wondrous, a wondrous story that we have to tell, to testify to. We must confess at times, though, our Father, that we have been poor witnesses to this great event. That we have been poor witnesses by the way that we have lived, by the sins that we have continued to commit, by not taking the opportunities to testify to our Lord Jesus for not being ready in and out of season to to testify to the hope that is within us. And so we confess these things before you. And all the more that we give you thanks, we must confess that our Lord Jesus Christ is a great Savior and Redeemer. For we know that we come before you not before a judgment seat, but before the seat of mercy. And that again, that the forgiveness of sins have been won for us by Jesus Christ. We give you thanks. We thank you, our Father, for the many blessings that you give to us on top of our salvation. We celebrate the, the blessings of, of family, the, the blessings of, of friendship, the blessings of health, the, the, the blessings that, that are ours through this very world that you have created. And even through those who uh, have not confessed Jesus Christ, and yet you have used them as vessels to bless us with their skill, their knowledge, uh, with, with their very friendship. We give you thanks. We pray for them. We pray for those who are lost for their salvation, that the light of Christ, the light of the gospel, might dawn upon their darkness and that they may know the same hope that we have. 
We thank you for those who have dedicated their lives uh, through all parts of this world to proclaim that gospel message. And we pray for them to bear fruit in their labors and for your protection of them. We lift up our brothers and sisters in churches throughout this world that because of their very faithfulness in worshiping you, their faithfulness in, in proclaiming the gospel, that their very lives are in danger, that their churches have been literally burned, that they have lost homes and lost jobs, and there are those who fear now for their loved ones who are in prison. And we pray for them evermore to, to remain faithful unto you, to keep the hope that is within them. And then we pray that uh, for many that you would release them from prison, that you would protect their lives, and that even their very enemies might be won over to Jesus Christ because of them. We pray for the work that takes place here in Lake Oconee, for those who are reaching out and through many ministries to help the poor, help the needy, to visit, care for the lonely and those who are ill and sick. And we pray uh, for these ministries and for these individuals who, because of the love of Christ, want to show that love to others. Pray for effectiveness in their labors. And then we lift ourselves before you here in this sanctuary. You know each one of us. You know what is going on in our hearts, what is going on in our very thoughts. And you know that what our needs are, our fears, our worries, our hopes, our joys. And all the more we look to you as our Heavenly Father to care for your children, to feed us, to give us all that is needed that we may be faithful unto you. And we pray that as your word is opened, and as it is proclaimed, that you would open our minds and our hearts for understanding and to examine ourselves by your word and to be obedient to it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for our scripture reading, I'll be reading from Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8. If you're using your church Bibles, you'll find that on page 417. And you can also find it on the insert in the bulletin uh, as well. Now, if you are using the church bulletins and you're visiting with us, you'll probably notice a little bit difference in the wording. I'm using the English Standard Version uh, for, my, for my text. Let us hear the word of God. He, that is God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, this text that I've just read, this message of this psalm, is actually very straightforward, Psalm 78. It's simply saying this, that each, genera that each generation 
is supposed to teach the next generation the deeds and the commandments of God. So then that generation will be faithful to him and that they will not stray away. Most of this long psalm is then dedicated to showing how that this was not followed. How the generation, instead of exhorting the next generation to follow after God, that very generation had strayed away from God. Their fathers were anything but the greatest generation. Now, what was to be the solution then to turning things around? Well, it was to start teaching the next generation. And so we're going to primarily look at, actually, the, just the first two lines there of verse uh, 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And the first lesson I'm going to give you is a lesson in Hebrew poetry. Okay. The first half, these two lines are an example of what is the most distinguishing feature of Hebrew poetry, and that's called parallelism. And what it simply means is this. The first line presents a thought, and the second line simply rephrases it. Pretty much says the same thing in different words. I'll give you another example. In Psalm 19.1, it starts off by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. And then the second line is, The sky... Above proclaims his handiwork. So you see there, sky is synonymous with uh, heavens. Proclaims is synonymous there with uh, declare. And then his handiwork is, corresponds there with the glory of God. It's slightly different, you'll notice there. Okay. And what the psalmist is saying is, you know, he's been looking up at the heavens. He sees the glory of, of God. He's simply saying, look, I... I'm looking up at the sky, and when I look at the sky and I realize this is God's handiwork, I see the glory of God. Now, in like manner, then, our two lines are doing the same thing. They repeat, and that second line adds just a little bit extra to it. And so you have established and appointed. Those are synonymous. You have Jacob and Israel. Those are synonymous. You'll remember that Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. And then you have testimony and law. Testimony is another word for law. Now, if you're looking at the NIV, the New International Version, you'll see that actually you don't see the word testimony. You'll see the term statutes. Later on in verse 56, Israel is going to be criticized for not keeping God's testimonies, his laws, or his statutes. So any of those words could have been used. But having said all this, there's a slight distinction between the two terms of law and that Hebrew term for what I'm going to call testimony. And testimony more clearly brings it out. And I'll, I'll explain how. There's another passage where the same word is used and translated testimony. And it's back in Exodus, chapter 25, and verses 21 to 22. God is giving instructions to Moses. And he says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. 
You know that the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to put a, a mercy seat, a covering for it. And, and in the Ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So, the testimony is going to be placed inside the ark, which then is covered by the mercy seat. And it's there over the mercy seat, that's where God will make his presence dwell. Those of you who heard that my first sermon in Jonah, we talked about that. The presence of the Lord is, is in a very specific way there in the temple in the Holy of Holies, there above the mercy seat. Okay. Now, what is that testimony that's placed in the ark? Now, with apologies to Indiana Jones, it has nothing to do with creepy supernatural beings that turns people to dust if you, if you see them. Okay. What's in there, what this testimony is, it's composed of two stones in the form of two tablets, what we know as the Ten Commandments. I haven't seen the latest Ten Commandment movie, so I don't know what they do with that stuff. But anyhow, in Exodus 31:18, we read this. And God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Okay, so the testimony is composed of two tablets bearing the Ten Commandments. Now, why are they given the name testimony? Well, it is because they serve as a witness to the covenant that was made between God and his people. Now, I don't have time today to go through all the details of ancient covenant making. But the basic idea is this, that that when a covenant was made between two parties, usually between a a king and a a lesser king or, or people, some tangible sign or testimony was given that would hold each party accountable to the covenant made. So it's very much like our present-day legal system. You know, you may come to an agreement, and so you get a piece of paper and write out what that agreement is, and each copy, each sign it, they each are given a copy of that. And then if either failed to keep their bargain of the, of the agreement, the testimony could be produced, could be appealed to. So this was the purpose of the two tablets served. Now, I know it's common for us to think about, you know, whenever you see, you know, a plaque or whatever of the Ten Commandments and you've got four or five commandments on one tablet and I guess six or five on on the other. And and so it's filling filling all those tablets. More likely what is the case is each tablet has the full Ten Commandments. And one is serving as a copy of the other. And then those two are placed in the Ark of of the Testimony, of the Covenant, and there to be in safe keeping. Oftentimes, the Ark itself is not referred to as the Ark of the Covenant, but it's referred to as the Ark of the Testimony. So what the... When the psalm speaks of God establishing a testimony in Jacob, 
It does. It is another way of saying that they appointed a law in Israel, but also that this law, this testimony, is being a witness that the people have agreed to follow this law. And so that testimony is telling us something also even more here. It's telling us that the law was not merely kind of a a collection of laws that were devised to keep a a society together and kind of identify the people uh, as being of that particular country, but it is identifying the people as belonging to God, of being accountable to God. It's what identifies them as being God's covenant people. And so to break the law is to break faith with God himself. It is to actually rebel against God as their king. Now, the testimony served also as a visible reminder. Even though it's, it's placed in that ark, everyone knows what is inside that ark. And when they were going through the wilderness, you know, they're, they're traveling. You could see the ark. The ark was actually leading the people as they were going their way. When they camped and when they had their tent, the tabernacle, it's placed in the tabernacle. But when anyone looked at the tabernacle, they understand that they are looking at the, what is covering the, uh, the testimony. When the temple was built, the whole primary part of that temple is to be the, the place for where the Ark of the Testimony is kept. And it represented, it was a visible reminder, the temple was that they were God's covenant people. So reminders are important to God. And he established other kind of testimonies and reminders. The Feast of Passover. When he established it, he said that this was to remind the people that their deliverance had been wrought by God himself. God had brought them out of Egypt. He would have, or the people would every now and then, uh, build pillars of, of stones. Not for altars, not to put sacrifices on, but to be reminders. And when people would see these pillars, they would be reminded of some great work that God had done. So when we sing, Come Thy Fount, of every blessing, and we come to that strange line here, I raise my Ebenezer. Well, there was a pillar. And after a military victory, the prophet Samuel had had that pillar built, and he called it Ebenezer, meaning here the Lord helped us. Okay. And so that, these, these reminders God wanted the people to have so that they could under, remember he is their deliverer. Israelites were commanded to wear tassels on the hems of their garments. And those tassels were to remind them of the law, that they were accountable to keep the law of God. Remember, remember, that's God's ongoing message. Unfortunately, forget, forget was the covenant people's tendency. And so the psalmist here in Psalm 78, he's lamenting. They forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. And because they forgot, they continually broke God's law and rebelled against him. Now, are you able to follow this this line of thought? It's covered a lot of material here. Simply this. God gave his law to his people. 
That law prescribed how they were to live as his covenant people. He then wrote a a summary of the law. That's the Ten Commandments. Wrote them on tablets of stone to serve as a testimony to his covenant. That testimony served as a reminder of the agreement that God and his people had made so that the people would not forget their obligations and they would remain faithful to him. Unfortunately, the people still broke faith. Now, as we mentioned, the psalmist does offer a solution to this failure of previous generations. And he actually offers it in the previous verse. It's in verse 4, if you have your Bibles open. We, his generation, will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he had done. And it's interesting. He doesn't say we're going to tell them, we're going to remind them of the laws. We're going to remind them what God has done for them. Teach the children what the Lord has done for his people. Teach them the specific story of the Exodus, of how God delivered his people from Egypt, how he brought them through the wilderness into the promised land. This is what the fathers were supposed to have done. They were supposed to have taught the commandments to their children and throughout the generations. But quite honestly, interest in those commandments had died away. Why had that done? Why couldn't they not remember? Because they also had not passed on the glorious deeds of the Lord. All history teachers know this. When the deeds are forgotten, when the history is forgotten, The laws, their traditions, die away. People can no longer make that connection. And so the psalmist, what he's going to do throughout the remainder of his psalm, he's going to testify to the glorious deeds of the Lord. He's going to recount those miracles in Egypt. He's going to recount the miracles in the wilderness journey. He's going to recount how the the Lord settled his people in the promised land. He's going to particularly recount how the people kept rebelling against God, and nevertheless, God would keep forgiving. Remember what the Lord has done for you. That's his message. And the very last deed that he will testify to in the psalm is how God raised up a shepherd king, meaning David, to lead his people back to him. Now, I need to tell you, this is the tenth year that I have preached in this in this psalm. You wonder how how can you preach ten uh, sermons in a psalm? I, you can go to my website and you can read the the other nine. But I stumbled across the psalm. Actually, it was our responsive reading for that day, and I thought, well, I think I'll preach on that. And as I read it, and as you, and I hope you will read it. You'll see it's a great psalm as you come to the end of the year to remind you of God's faithfulness to you and then to prepare you for the coming year. And I want you to consider some of the lessons just from these two lines here, but also just that the whole psalm gives to us. And the very first clear one, the very point of the psalm is this. Our children... The next generation needs testimonies and signs from us. 
See, the psalmist was only doing what he had been commanded to do in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Our children, like the children of the Israelites, are covenant children. And they too need to know and to obey the commandments of the Lord and we may not deny them that privilege. And so if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you have even great-grandchildren, do not deny them that legacy. Pass on to as many generations that the Lord grants you the testimony of the Lord. So our children need this. Also what the psalmist is saying to us is that we need the testimony and the signs for our own sake. Now faith can grow stronger as we grow older, but faith can also grow weaker. We who were once far from God can recall the time when we were brought near to Christ. There was that that freshness of first love. The excitement of discovering our Savior. I can, I can still picture the moment now, walking through a park that night. The overwhelming joy of knowing the forgiveness of sin. And we vowed then that we would go wherever and we would do whatever the Lord asked of us. And then time moves on. Practical living takes over. We have to get an education. We have to build a career. We have to raise a family. And then sometimes tragedy invades. But with or without tragedy, typically it's the everyday grind, just the everyday trials that take its toll. And after a while, it's what was it we had vowed to do? You know, oftentimes it's the lure of the world that pulls us away. There is the, the outright lust of the, of the flesh and of greed and, and ambition of the world that, that tempts us away. And then without us realizing it, sometimes it's simply the problem of good that trips us up. You know, we meet good unbelievers. We experience the blessings that come from unregenerate neighbors and, and teachers that we've, we've had and Uh, of professionals and and artists. We like them. Maybe we like them more than we do Christians and some of the churches that we've become tired of. After a while, what was it we had vowed that we would do? God seems to grow less real. No miracles. No victories. We had aimed to do great things for God, but then, you know, we look back, what can we really testify to? What lives were actually changed because of us, because of our ministry, because of our prayers? And then we we think and we can testify actually to broken relationships, to believers who walked away from the faith, to failures in our own lives and What was it that we had vowed to do? 
Well, we had vowed to believe in and to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he had died to save us from our sins. And we need, we need it in order to keep the course to look to testimonies given to us. Now, I want us to consider what they are. First and foremost is that we have the written word of God. Like our Jewish kin, we are people of the book. It is there as we're reading of the glorious deeds of the Lord, reading of the commandments and the teachings of the Lord, that we are reminded of our covenant vows and we are strengthened in our faith. Have you not experienced it? Certainly there have been times you've been discouraged. The world seems to to make more sense than your faith. And and then you come across a scripture passage. Maybe maybe you just heard someone say it. You heard it on the radio. You actually heard a minister uh, read it or speak it. Or you just had your Bible open. And there it was for you. It it brought you back to reality. It it lifted you up. or, Or maybe it actually convicted you and it woke you up to your folly. Maybe it brought to you that that comfort you needed at just the right time. Maybe it reminded you of a character trait of God that you needed to hear, to be reminded of. Or of a deed of God that testified what God has done for you in the gospel. That testimony reminded you of what you were letting die. And it kept you faithful to the Lord. So there's the testimony of the word of God. Another testimony are the the sacraments. I love, as a minister of the gospel, administering the sacraments. We'll be doing that next Sunday. Just as circumcision and the Passover were given, specifically to remind the people that they belonged to God, that he was their redeemer. That's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are for as well. They are signs and seals that we belong to God. He gave them to us. That our Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for us, that we would belong to God. I love standing behind that table and offering to you the the, the signs of the body and the blood of Christ's sacrifice for us and saying to you, Christ still remembers you. You still belong to him. I love sprinkling water on a a covenant child's head and testify to the anointing of the the spirit, to the cleansing power of Christ's blood and say, this child belongs to God. And such sacraments are testimony to to the wondrous redeeming work of our Savior. They remind us again, they wake us up who we belong to. Another testimony is the church. Yes, the, the organized church. I don't know of another kind of church that the New Testament recognizes. Who actually becomes more faithful, more obedient to Christ by cutting themselves off from his visible body? We were never saved. There is no such thing as being saved to be individual followers of Christ living our lives alone. We were made to need one another so that we might build up one another's faith and hold each other accountable 
to faithfully following our Lord. The church is testimony to this covenant nature of God's salvation. He doesn't have a collection of lots of individual followers. He has a people. Now, there are testimonies that have been developed throughout the church. We, we, have, we have already done some of them. When we recited the Apostles' Creed, that was a testimony of the facts of the gospel and the central tenets of the faith. It reminds us what it is that we believe, what God has done for us. The symbol of the cross. Yes, it's behind me. I didn't know whether the screen was over or not, but there it is behind me. I'm sorry, i got to go off a little bit. I remember watching a minister one time point back to the cross and say, that is not. He said, I don't know what the cross is about. All I can tell you is that is not the emblem of suffering and shame. That's the reason it's up there, to be that emblem of suffering and shame, to remind us what Jesus Christ has done. The hymns that we sing, they are sung to glorify God and to keep before us the truths of the word and the gospel. Every worship service is a testimony that we belong to God and are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you for myself, there are times that my faith can take a beating. There are times I can doubt the gospel, doubt the power of the gospel. The teachings of the world can seem so real, sometimes even truer than God's word. I like to read novels. I can read a well-written novel that makes the unbelievers, they just seem so, so kind, so good, a lot more reasonable than the scriptures led on. And, and you kind of start to wonder, is the gospel... Is it true? Is it really so necessary? I meet good people who do not believe in Christ. Is faith necessary? That's why I wrote that book, The Problem of Good. I was writing it for myself. And then I come into the sanctuary with God's people. And I hear the hymns sung by those who believe those hymns. And I recite together with God's people our common faith. And it never fails. My faith returns again. It grows stronger. And then there are another type of testimony. They're the testimonies that we ourselves say about our own salvation. Again, my faith may be down and I kind of wonder, where's the power of the gospel? And I hear another testimony. I hear about the woman who had told her father that she could never believe. Just give up trying, Dad. And then one day, while vacuuming her house, she is struck with the holiness of God and bows before him. Or the young man who t- told me at the time his, of his testimony, how he was in the midst of a dangerous overdose rage with a knife in his hand going crazy What brought you back? I started to think of hymns that my mother had taught me. And the next day, the next Sunday, he is back in church again. His life turned around. Even the boring testimonies from numerous individuals who testify how their parents did teach them the glorious deeds of the Lord and his commands, and they never did 
stray away. These testimonies renew my faith and they keep me focused on the power of God. And so what's being said here is that Yes, all of these testimonies, these these types of testimonies, they're necessary, yes, to pass on faith to our children and grandchildren. They're necessary to pass on to faith to unbelievers. But understand that they are necessary for us who have believed for years. Remember the context here is the psalmist is lamenting the loss of faith, not of other generations to come, but of the very generation that experienced the exodus, that went through that wilderness, that came into the promised land. They're the ones who forgot. They're the ones who forgot that they belonged to God and forgotten what he had done for them. And so we need these things for our own sake to remember and to remember this, that God never forgot his people. And that he would accomplish a a far greater redemption for them than that redemption from Egypt. A far greater redemption accomplished by a far greater deed. For the God who is accountable to no one would take upon himself to see that the testimony was fulfilled. And that the sin of the people was actually fully atoned for And this second redemption would redeem the people from their sins forever. Forever. How would he do this? Well, the clue is given to us in Psalm 78 at the end of that psalm. When he speaks of this shepherd king whom God sent to lead God's people back to him. He's talking about King David here. But God would send his son through the line of that David who, unlike David, would live the perfect life, fulfilling the testimony. And so that testimony would bear witness not against him, but for him, declaring him to be the keeper of the covenant law. And then as keeper of the testimony, that shepherd king would be our high priest, offering his very blood as a sacrifice for those who broke that testimony. Think about this. The father gave his son. The son gave his life. For whom? For the breakers of the testimony. And then this son would mediate a greater covenant. One that was based not on our obedience and work, thank goodness. But one that was based upon his perfect work. One that did not need sacrifice after sacrifice to make kind of a pretend atonement. One sacrifice to make the perfect atonement. And you remember where the tablets of testimony were kept? They were in the ark. It's covered by the mercy seat. It's located in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. Once a year, the, holy, the high priest would enter into that Holy of Holies Sprinkle the mercy seat with blood from a sacrifice to make atonement, supposedly, for the people. But here's what actually was happening. When that high priest entered before the testimony, the testimony is testifying against him and against the people that they were guilty. That's why he had to keep going in there. The mercy seat was, in reality, a judgment seat. But here's what the Bible is telling us. 
our high priest. Jesus Christ entered into the real holy of holies in the heavenly temple with his blood that one time making full atonement for our sins so that when we do enter before that seat, we don't find judgment. We find mercy. As this year ends and a new year begins, let us commit ourselves to keep all the testimonies that point us to the one testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us resolve not to forget this glorious deed of our God. And let us be faithful to teach it to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, to teach it to our neighbors, to teach it to one another, to keep teaching it to ourselves. Let us testify to the great work of Christ on the cross and to that ongoing work of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives. We give you thanks, our God, that we may testify to such glorious deeds of our salvation, of all that you have given to us, the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us not forget the commandments Let us not forget what we have vowed to follow after you, whatever the cost. May we be faithful unto you as our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful to you. And give you thanks and praise again for that atonement he has made. In his name we pray. Amen.